Now, if you would, I'd like you to take a Bible this morning. I'd like you to grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'd like you to grab the one in the rack in front of you. If you don't want to grab the one in the rack in front of you, I'd like you to take your phone, open up your phone to a Bible app. And I'd like you to take the Bible and I'd like you to look at the Bible. And I'd like you to think this with me. The Bible, the Bible you're looking at, the Bible that I have in my hand, the Bible is the very word of God. These words are God-breathed. They are inspired by God. They are meant to form us and shape us and train us. They are meant to draw us closer to God. They instruct us on who Jesus is and what he means for us and how he can forgive us from our sins so that we can have relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is the very word of God. He has given it to us for our benefit and for our good. This is truth. And I pray that you are here this morning to hear truth. This is truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, if you would, take that Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 in the church's Bible. That's on page 793. This morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He followed Jesus. And after his time with Jesus, God spoke to Matthew through the Holy Spirit, instructing him what to write down, instructing him to write down these inspired words. Remember, this is the word of God. This is truth. But this morning, we come to a passage that at first glance might leave us wondering why it was included. I began studying this past week and I began to think to myself, why in the world does Matthew break up this compelling story at this point? I came to the passage thinking to myself, well, we could probably just jump right through this passage and get on with the story. But on closer examination, this may be one of the most important passages in Matthew's gospel. In fact, in many ways, it is the heart of the gospel. In these verses, Matthew continues to reveal Jesus's character. We saw it last week, and we see it continuing in these verses today. Matthew is showing us what Jesus is like, and today he reveals more truth about his character, about who he is, also about his mission and his method. Now, the context of these verses is very important. Essentially, they come in the middle of the book of Matthew when opposition to Jesus is starting to intensify. It's starting to rise. And we live in a time and in a place where opposition to Jesus is also starting to rise. So these words this morning have great impact and great meaning for you and for me. Now, remember where we were in the story 
Last week, we, had, we saw that Jesus had in this encounter with the Pharisees. Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. That's the day of rest. And there were many rules about what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Jesus' disciples were hungry, so they decide to grab some of the grain and eat the grain. And the Pharisees get all upset about this. They get all bent out of shape. Have you ever thought to yourself that the Pharisees just have too much time on their hands? I mean, think of the things they're worried about. Well, then there's another encounter. They're in the synagogue, same day, same Sabbath day. And Jesus speaks to a man and calls, calls, calls him and tells him to stick out his hand and he reveals a healed hand. And this puts the Pharisees over the top. Like now they're really upset. Look what he says in verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now I'd say the opposition is growing. They're not just planning to ignore him. They're not even just planning to say bad things about him. They're plotting to kill him. They want to destroy Jesus. And it's into this context that we find this unusual, seemingly unimportant insertion into the story. Follow along as I read, beginning in Matthew 12, verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. You see, this passage is important. Matthew inserts these words from the prophet Isaiah. This is a loose quote of Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah wrote this prophecy. He wrote these words hundreds of years before Jesus lived. And now Matthew inserts these words to point us to Jesus, to remind us, to tell us that Jesus is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy from hundreds of years before. Now I'd like to share with you three reasons why these words are included at this place and at this time and for you and for me. The first reason. The first reason is to demonstrate that Jesus is more than just a person. Jesus is more than just a person. He is a fulfillment of prophecy. He is the one who God sent to deliver us from bondage, sin, and death. Last week, we learned that in the midst of complex ethical situations, God gives us more than ethical rules. He gives us a person. He gives us the person of Jesus, the merciful person of Jesus to walk with us and to guide us. But Jesus is more than just a person. You see, there's some people that think about Jesus and they think, well, he's just a person. And maybe he's a really good teacher. Maybe he's even a prophet. But Matthew has included these words to tell us, to explain to us that Jesus is more than just a person. Look with me at verse 18. 
This may be the most important verse in this whole passage. Look at how the verse starts. It says, here is. Other translations say, behold. This means look carefully and consider him. Consider who Jesus actually is. It's the prophetic descriptor, servant of God. This is the prophetic descriptor that God gives to Jesus. Behold my servant. It describes the central motivation of Jesus's life. Look what Jesus says of himself later in the book of Matthew. Jesus says this, just as the son of man, he's speaking of himself, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was not selfishly motivated. He did not come to do his own will. He came to do the will of his father who sent him. And then notice, notice that God called him my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus's identity as the Christ means that he was the Messiah, means that he was the anointed one, means that he is the chosen one, the man that God chose. The apostle Peter wrote this. He says, as we come to him, look at what Peter wrote. As we come to him, the living stone rejected by humans. But what does it say? but chosen by God and precious to him. Look at what Peter also tells us. Peter also tells us that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no one else because Jesus is the one. He's the only one. Jesus is the one that God has chosen for this particular purpose. And it also says that Jesus is loved by God. Other translations say he's the beloved of God. Jesus has a special place. He's not only the one that God has chosen. God also declared him to be beloved by God in whom God delights. We saw this language earlier at Jesus's baptism and we're gonna see it later at Jesus's transfiguration. He is the one in whom God himself delights. In Colossians chapter one, when Paul is expounding upon the beauty of Jesus Christ, he says that Jesus is the son that God loves. Then finally, note that God has placed the Holy Spirit on Jesus. It says, I will put my spirit on him. We saw this as well at Jesus's baptism. And even Jesus himself quotes and applies a prophecy from Isaiah, from Isaiah 61 to himself in Luke chapter four. Look at what Jesus says about himself. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here in Matthew chapter 12, God is telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. These words are more than God just giving affirmation to Jesus. Please listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is more than God just giving affirmation to Jesus. God is making the point to you and to me that Jesus is more than just a person. He is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. Jesus, clearly, please listen. Jesus is very God of very God. He's not just a person. 
The truth of the text, the truth of the word of God is that Jesus is very God of very God. And he has a mission, which takes us to the second reason that this text is in here. The second reason that Matthew has included this passage in his gospel is he wants to know us to know that Jesus's mission is also a fulfillment of prophecy. His mission is identified for us at the end of verse 18. He will proclaim justice to the nations. Jesus will proclaim what is right and good and he will identify what is wrong and evil. We've gotten glimpses of this throughout our study in the book of Matthew. There have been times when he has proclaimed truth. He has said, this is right and this is good. And he has identified what is wrong and what is evil. And as we continue to go through the book of Matthew, we are going to see Jesus more and more reveal truth and more and more reveal himself as truth. But here's where it gets interesting and a bit controversial. You see, Jesus was not what the Jewish people were expecting in a savior. And he is often not what people today are expecting in a savior. He came to proclaim justice. He came He came to solve man's problem, but it wasn't the problem that men thought needed to be solved. You see, Jesus came to solve the problem of sin. He came to reconcile us to God the Father through the forgiveness of sins. He came to change people's hearts to make them right before God. But the people of his day thought that they were good. They thought they were good enough. And the people that we live with today, many of us, we think we're good enough. You see, the people of Jesus' day wanted him to solve another problem. They wanted him to remove the oppression and the humiliation of Rome. You see, the Jewish people wanted Jesus to get rid of Rome. And maybe they had a great rationale. Something like, well, then we could truly be a Jewish nation. But Jesus was always talking about the issue of sin and its impact on the soul. The Samaritan woman, think about the Samaritan woman at the well. She wanted to talk about water. And Jesus turns the conversation around to talk about living water, to talk about himself There was a man who wanted to talk about bread and the limitation of not having enough bread. And look what Jesus responds and says to him. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, Jesus came to deal with the problem of sin and separation from God. Listen, it would have been no help at all if he would have just overthrown the Roman government. Even his healings are a means to an end. None of it would mean anything if man's sin was not forgiven. My friends, it's the same thing today. The chief reason 
the chief reason that why so many people, your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people you go to school with are not interested in Jesus is that they do not believe that Jesus has come to solve the problem that they want him to solve. Jesus has very specifically come to solve the main problem, the foundational problem that each one of us have It's the problem of sin. It's the problem without Jesus. We cannot be reconciled to God the Father. We cannot have the forgiveness of sins. All the other problems in this life are symptoms of the main problem, the fact that we have sin in our lives. Jesus comes to deal with the sin problem. Imagine, imagine with me, imagine that Jesus was in Ukraine right now. Imagine that Jesus was in Ukraine right now and he's, and, he's, and he's walking around and he's healing people and he's preaching great messages. You know what people would be doing? They'd be asking him, what does he think about the war in Ukraine and what is he going to do about it? Amen. And you know what Jesus would be doing? He would be doing the exact same thing he has always done. He would be proclaiming these exact words. This is what he would be saying. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The burden of sin, the weight of sin on our lives creates a weary burden that none of us can overcome. There is not one of you, there is not me, I cannot overcome my sin on my own. I cannot reconcile myself to God. I am not good enough to stand in the presence of a holy God, but for Jesus. Because Jesus came to deal with the foundational, the root problem that we all have. And we want to focus on so many other things. We want to focus on what we believe are the macro issues of life. We want to focus upon upon racism, upon violence, upon war, upon equal rights. On a micro level, we want to think about our personal health and safety. And it's, please listen to me. It's not bad to think about those things. But the foundational issue is the sin that is in man's heart. All of humanity has to deal with the sin that we express. And all of those things, racism, injustice, violence, war, abortion, sexual immorality, it is all symptoms of the foundational issue of sin. And Jesus comes. And his mission is to deal with the foundational issue, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what he offers to you and to me. He offers the forgiveness of sins. He goes to the foundational issue to solve that. And what happens then when the forgiveness of sins comes, the heart is transformed. And when the heart is transformed, the actions change. The issue, my friends, Jesus came to deal with is sin. Your sin and my sin. And he came to reconcile us to God the Father so that we can have right relationship, so that our hearts and our minds can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And out of that transformation of the heart, we live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God himself. And then you will start to see things change.
which leads us to the third reason why Jesus came. The third reason that Matthew has included this passage in the gospel is because he wants us to understand that Jesus has a very specific method and it's also a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus himself is very God of very God. He is more than just a person. He has a very specific message. It is the mission. It is the forgiveness of sins. And now we see a very specific method. Look at verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Do you see that? No quarreling or crying out. We are told in essence that Jesus would not use force. He would not be contentious. He would not fight. No yelling matches, no standing on rooftops with megaphones, no protests, no boycotts, no hunger strikes, no riots. That's not Jesus. It's not his method. Instead, he is gentle, kind, tender, impatient. Just look at the passage. Verse 14, we're told that the Pharisees went out and plotted to kill him. They wanted to destroy him. Again, not just saying bad things about him, not ignoring him. They actually want to kill him. And notice what he didn't do. He did not plan a counterattack. He did not appeal to Herod or Pilate. He did not raise an army. He did not call down angels. He did not just will them to stop breathing and die. We're simply told that he withdrew from there. And please note that this is not an effort to run and hide. We know that because we're told that there's a large, large crowd that followed him and he continued to heal people. You want to know what he was doing? He was doing exactly what he had earlier told his disciples to do. Look at this, Matthew 10. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Go, proclaim, live in the mission, proclaim the message. But if they're not willing to listen, Shake the dust off your feet. To shake the dust off your feet was in effect saying, if you don't want this message, then we are going to peaceably move on and we're just gonna leave our dust here. We're gonna go to those who are willing to listen, those who are open to hear the message. He sticks to the mission. And it's so interesting to me. Do you know, do you see who it was and who it is who is willing to receive the message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God? Look at verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This references people. This references the people who are often willing to listen. Jesus is gentle kind, tender, and patient with those who are bruised, those who are broken. A bruised reed he will not break. 
To those who are bruised and wounded, he offers forgiveness, healing, and strength. To those who are a smoldering wick, those who feel like their light is about to go out, he will forgive and give the light of life. Are you a bruised reed this morning? Are you a smoldering wick? Do you feel like life has just weighed you down, has burdened you, the difficulties, the burden, the traumas of life, has in some ways just dimmed your passion for living? Jesus says a bruised reed, he's not going to break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Jesus has come this morning to you to offer this message of forgiveness, to offer this message of reconciliation of God with God in a transformation of the heart, a transformation of the heart that, that heals, that lifts the burden, that reignites the light. And do you see how he does it? He himself, for you, became a bruised reed that was broken. He became a smoldering wick that was extinguished. He went to a cross, and they hung him on a cross, and he died on that cross. They went out and they plotted to kill him. And he didn't fight. He didn't argue. He became the bruised reed that was broken. He became the smoldering wick that was extinguished. For you and for me. So that we could receive the forgiveness of sins. So that we could be made right with God. Have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen. Jesus, very God of very God, came with a specific, a specific mission. It's the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to the Father. And he came with a certain method. He didn't cry out. He didn't quarrel. He didn't fight. There's an application in this for you and for me. Some of you have already figured out the application. Jesus not only came to forgive our sins and to reconcile us with God the Father, he came as a model for you and for me a model that we are to imitate in our lives. He has called you and me to mission, to a proclamation of the gospel, to people who are bruised, to wicks that are smoldering, to proclaim the good news of the forgiveness of sins, the lifting of the burden of sin in our lives to be reconciled with God. He has given you and he has given me the mission to proclaim this good news. But he wants us to do it in a very, very specific way. Look at these verses. Look at what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy. 
don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Look at how Paul continues to instruct the church from Titus. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. I think sometimes as Christians, we think that we have to fight the good fight. We have to fight fire with fire. You ever feel that way? Me too. There's something about me that just likes to fight. It's not the way of Jesus. Jesus, very God, a very God had a very specific mission of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, so that people can be made right with God. And he didn't fight. He could have fought, and he would have won. He could have debated and made people look foolish, but he didn't. I was reminded this week that my tendency to want to fight is wrong. It's a sin. But it's a sin that Jesus came to forgive so that I can be reconciled with God the Father. See, guy, Jesus calls you and me to be kind, to be gentle, to be tender, and to be patient. It's the method that he calls us to use to produce the mission. I began studying this week, wondering why in the world God included this passage in this place for us at this time. It's pretty clear to me. We live in a time where opposition to Jesus is growing. but Jesus is still very God of very God. The mission for you and for me is still to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God the Father that transforms hearts and minds. And my friends, no matter the difficulty that comes to you or to me, no matter the persecution no matter the suffering, no matter the trial, we are called to be kind, to be gentle, to be tender, 
and to be patient. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that you have given us this morning. These words are the very word of God. We thank you that you have given us your word for direction in our lives. But Lord, I thank you most of all that you have given us your word so that we can experience salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray for each one of us that we would be able to model Jesus in and through our lives to every person we come in contact with. Please empower us through your Holy Spirit to do what you have called us to do in the way you have called us to do it. We recognize, we acknowledge, we proclaim that Jesus is very God of very God. Pray all this in his name. Amen.